0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Secure Networks, the Endace Packet Forensic Files with your host, Michael Morris. This week's special guest is Juliana Vita, Chief Technology Advisor for Splunk. Juliana, welcome. Thank you for joining. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Thanks, Michael. I, um, like you mentioned, I'm at Splunk now as the chief technical advisor for our public sector, but uh, I come from a full career as a military officer in the United States Navy. I uh, spent 24 years as a ship ship driver, then a helicopter pilot, and then ended up in the Pentagon in the uh, on the CIO staff. I did a career pivot there. And uh, started learning all things CIO, ended up as the deputy CIO for the U.S. Navy, and um, use those skills now. And then what I learned at another industry company along the way before coming to Splunk to, to bring an operational, how does this actually work in real life perspective to all the technologies that Splunk has in our, in our portfolio across our Data to Everything platform. So not coming from a technical background for my whole life, I'm able to speak in, I use different words. I use different uh, storytelling and different ways to talk to people about the mission and business value of Spock.
0: Excellent. Well, first, thank you for your service. We we're really excited to have you as part of our podcast series because of that experience. Um, Thank you. With all your uh, different roles and experiences that you have had, what are some of the biggest changes and challenges you see many of these government organizations facing in today's climate?
1: Honestly, the first one that comes to mind has got to be, um, you know, years ago, maybe decades ago, the, the Department of Defense, for example, was was considered to be, well, the federal government was considered to be where a lot of the innovation happened. Uh, you know, DARPA is known as creating the first iteration of the internet, for example. And, but that has, significantly shifted over over decades. And I'm not the first person to say that, but that's a big change because for a couple reasons. One, for a lot of federal government employees who have been around for a long time, in their minds, they're often still leaning towards the government should build it. Government should come up with the solution as opposed to let's trust that industry has matured to the, to the place that it has and let's really lean into more of the industry solutions or COTS products. So along with that mindset shift is this just rapid acceleration of innovation of new products on the industry side that really the government can't keep up with. Um, the, the government certainly has its expertise and certainly has its areas where uh, industry is, is we're, we're better off backing off and letting industry you know take care of the, the policy and compliance and, and those kinds of things. But, in terms of innovative technology, we're, just, we're running so fast in industry all the time that we've got all these great mature technologies, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's hard to get the government to often uh, accept those. For a long time, that was because commercial technologies perhaps didn't have the robust cybersecurity capabilities built into them that the government needed and that the government needs. But that's changed too. But that's, it's all changing so fast that it's hard for anybody to keep up. And so, I really think that those those dynamics are the biggest challenge that I see in, in industry being capable or being able to move the government into a modern future.
0: Excellent. No. So, how do you feel? Um, how do you feel those organizations, especially with all that technical expertise and that, uh, frankly, security and networking know-how? How are they adapting and? Uh, evolving to those those new dynamics and embracing you know technology vendors like us mm-hmm. <laughs> as they move forward
1: well the ones that are doing well are they're doing it well because they're bringing in different talent from maybe people who you know were from industry then they come into government for a while to do something mm-hmm. special or they started in government went out and came back in when then they bring that new perspective the fresh perspective new ideas just like any new person coming into your environment, they always are going to bring a different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And so the the agencies that are moving along the fastest do have, um, not, that, not that people inside the government can't come up with innovative ideas, but human nature is to just, you know, we live in echo chambers. We listen to the same voices. We follow the same leaders. But when you inject new voices or new mm-hmm. experience, that can really shift things, you know, and it can really um, rattle things up a little bit and get, organizations moving faster. So the ones that, that are leaning forward, that are partnering with industry, are doing that, I think, because they're incentivizing new, they're incentivizing people to act and think in new ways. And to, you know, we hear the term fail fast, you know, try hard, mm-hmm. fail fast, move on. Um, that I do see that taking hold more and more. I do see more government agencies and leaders and, and people all throughout organizations getting more comfortable with it's okay that we don't have the next 10 years plan, you know, written in hard cement um, today. It's okay that we iterate a little bit and make some changes and move forward. And that really is is um, it getting more and more pervasive across the government. Right. And also the policies that are coming out in guidance, you know, like the, the cloud um, started out as the cloud first policy, turned into the cloud smart, you know, guidance. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of policy and guidance directives are helping to open the government's mind about needing to do things in a different way and embracing technology to a greater extent.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's, you made the comment about the, um, the, the 10 year plan, uh, you know, many of the agencies that I, I have worked with, which is much more limited than you um, just having any organization have that long of a plan is just in, incredible to me. So right. the ones that are still struggling are a little bit, and, and maybe not those just struggling, what are some gaps or, or hurdles you see some of these entities still missing or not addressing or maybe obstacles with uh, the technology industry as a whole, the commercial industry? Where do you see some challenges still there?
1: Well, within the government, I would say internally inside the government, the ones that are are still not moving forward fast enough. I, I honestly think that the challenge generally and the gaps are cultural and personal. Um, they are let's take the military services for example just right. because that's what i know you know of course there's always going to be friendly banter between the army and the navy and the marines and right everyone <laughs> you know but often that that kind of us versus them mentality often is very pervasive yeah. and it goes down to the point of and, I, and i've seen it i mean i lived it for eight years in the mm-hmm. pentagon so i speak from a of experience and now i see it from the industry side and it still exists in a lot of places where something as simple as if a policy about technology innovation for example is championed or published by one of the military services with the big s army navy air force marines the other services or people within there sometimes are just they're they push back they they don't want to adopt it because they might say well that's an army thing or that's an air force thing no it's a dod thing and it's just these these um, man made barriers that that are in place that you can get over them you know eventually the services do come together and they they collaborate and they coordinate which is which is good but it takes longer than it should and I often do think it's just because of that um us versus them kind of mentality. And it's really unfortunate and it's not nefarious. It's no one intends to be getting in the way, but, uh, and it's, and it's not just within the DOD it's, it's across the other federal agencies. And, you know, it's, it's personality and culture. And, um, those are really hard to change.
0: Well, and it's, it's interconnecting that with maybe the personality and culture of some of the tech vendors they're, they're dealing with too, which I I think there's a lot of learning to go on that side as well.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um,
0: I, I recently uh, sat through and enjoyed your session at uh, Splunk Conf 20, uh, where you did a, a video interview with uh, a number of guests from uh, Customs Border Patrol and Protection, SAIC, DHS. Mm-hmm. DHHS. Mm-hmm. Um, you covered a lot of areas with them, mm-hmm. so it was a long session. I'm not going to recap everything. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but one area you hit on in particular was the AI, ML, machine learning area and how yeah. technologies are, are helping their, those organizations' cybersecurity posture. Yeah. My question for you is, where do you think these technologies need to continue to evolve in order to, frankly, stay ahead of the threat actors? Uh, and what are the areas of risk w- for organizations with AI and ML?
1: Well, I'll start with... Uh, <laughs> well, actually, I'll just start talking. Okay, so <laughs> just like any other um, you know, innovating new technology. I mean, it's not new, but you know what I mean. It's one of the yeah. hottest technologies and trends on the market today. Um, there's a lot of complexity there. First of all, they, um, they tend to turn off people who aren't techie or they aren't, they don't people don't consider themselves smart about technology or oh, I don't, I don't, leave it to the IT guys and, and they'll figure it out. Um, AI and ML would fall squarely, you know, in that, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, ooh, you know, it sounds so, so murky and and you have to have a data science, you know, PhD in data science to figure it out. Uh, No. So I would say that part of the problem with people adopting and then using AI and ML to their best advantage is that um, there's not a lot of common man conversation about what are we talking about with AI and ML until you start to explain in um, storytelling or, you know, everyday examples of what we mean by AI and ML. So that's one. Uh, and that's back to a cultural barrier. It's how do people mm. talk about it? The second thing, though, and one this is a risk. I think if this notion of bias that's built into AI, I think is a real issue, mm. meaning an artificial intelligent solution, let's call it a robot. No, let's not call it a robot. Let's call it AI just to keep it you know, from the purists from coming yeah. after me with sports and torches and stuff. So an AI... Output is only going to be as good as the data that the human beings are putting into it, and then the machine learning algorithms that human beings build that you know kind of mature that AI. Well, if those human beings are you know if they are letting their normal human biases dictate what data put in, how to build the algorithms, you might not come out with the right solution you know that is agnostic or that is um, not going to be harmful in some way. There's a, there's a joke I heard, um, you know, in, in the AI world. And it, it's about this, uh, you know, if you asked, a, if you asked an AI to create the, um, the world's best paperclip that you might end up with the AI saying, well, we have to destroy all of humanity because they are ruining the environment. I mean, if there's no environment, then there won't be any minds. And if there's no minds, then we can't make the metal. You get my point. Like yeah. that's ridiculous. But in an extreme example, if we aren't careful about the not including a lot, enough diverse voices or talent or experience as we build AI, using machine learning algorithms, we might end up with solutions that we didn't expect, you know, on the back end. That's
0: That's an excellent point. Uh, And and the amount of, um, that's one of the challenges we see with with customers is the amount of uh, insightful input um, to really direct it to, to, to really harness the full power.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: No, that's you can't that's
1: really, I mean, and a lot of people think, Oh, that's that touchy feely diversity stuff. And I wanted to say, Oh no, <laughs> no. And, you know, you, and then you can just name your doomsday example that, yeah. that is like, you know, RoboCop or whatever, where it didn't quite turn out the way yeah. the way they expected it to be at the beginning.
0: Yeah. That's that's interesting because one of the areas I mean you mentioned how hot uh, in the tech industry AI ML is from a, a buzzword point of view. Yeah. One of the other really hot areas that that we're running across a fair bit is SOAR, uh, security yeah. orchestration or automation, mm-hmm. um, and response. Yeah. Um, and and really one of the hottest areas of adoption and and many of those uh, solutions and platforms include AI and ML, but they're often very complex, uh, require a lot of integrations, and can be quite time-consuming to deploy for for delivering broad results. What are you seeing around SOAR in the government space?
1: Yeah. Well, fortunately, in the government space, there is, um, I would say, there's more activity on on the Hill. You know, people there are people called up there to testify about technology topics, I would say, in the last few years and I've seen in my career. Right. Um, and the topic of automation continues to come up as a priority for some of the um, congressional members that are on these technology committees. And so th- I think that's driven a lot of interest in SOAR. Automation is a part of that, but it's a big part. And people have really bought into what I agree is one of the best outcomes of, of automation, and that is, you know, getting the best bang for your buck getting the most out of whether it's government workforce or products or the acquisition system or whatever it is. If we can just automate a lot of those tasks that bog people down or a lot of that quote bureaucratic work, you know, that government does and reviewing policy or policy compliance, just automate that paperwork stuff. Imagine the talent you could unleash in people's brains to be creative and come up with innovative ideas. So that, that one piece, that automation, is where we see most people start using our our SOAR product is Phantom, mm-hmm. and they start to use Phantom just for that automation, and then they start to realize, oh, if I can, uh, or, if I can automate this particular task, like for example, I'm going to use for example the, the processing of a um, travel claim. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can process the travel claim with an automate, you know, if I can automate that process, well, then I can orchestrate, which for us means playbooks. You build right. a playbook. If a person submits a travel claim, then, you know, ka-chunk, 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 the, the, the computer does these nine, next 10 steps and boom, out on the other end, you get, you know, a digital clear travel claim that's approved and all of that. So they start with automation and then they kind of move out into these other use cases. That's what that's what I see. Okay. Um, but it's really nice to see that the language is getting into legislation. Not that all of us read all the language that's, that's in the law, but just the fact that it's, there and then industry can kind of grab hold on that and um you know continue to refine solutions and bring them to the government
0: yeah no that's that's an excellent point so kind of stepping back a little bit what are you seeing or what do you think some of the basics that most successful organizations and most secure entities are doing that others can learn from
1: well, the basics, so in my view, from coming from Splunk, but also just as a person in the world who's paying attention to COVID and dashboards right. and you know predicting where the next spike is going to be, is an understanding of data mm. as a strategic asset. That does not mean that everyone, again, everyone does not need to be a data scientist. I do not have a computer science degree. I have a history degree and a master's in leadership, and I work at Splunk. At a technology company and I talk about technology, there is a place for everyone in the world to learn more about what data means to them in their lives, how they protect it. You know, not knowing anything about data would be like going through the industrial revolution and not understanding how a light bulb works. I mean, honestly, it's that, it's that basic. And so I think that the basic thing that successful agencies are doing is just opening a conversation about why this data thing is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we mean by data protection? What do we mean by be a good steward and have cybersecurity practices? That, I mean, it sounds so simple and basic, but that's really what it takes because especially in the government, a lot of people have been doing their jobs for a really long time. Yeah, And they've been, they're just like human beings. We like to do what we're doing and get good at it and, and not rock the boat. And the longer someone has been in a job, Doing the same thing, the less inclined they are to learn something new. So the agencies that are doing well are just making it simple, you know, just explaining to people why they should care about this. And then they can move on to the advanced use cases and and getting people, you know, excited about all the other things that data can do. But an understanding of data as a fundamental element and a strategic asset,
0: crucial. Oh, that's an excellent point and probably good for many of us to uh, remember they keep it simple stage. So, Julianne, last question for you. Uh, um, And one thing I always like to leave our listeners uh, when we talk to experts like yourself, what do you recommend the one thing they look out for or think about over the next six to 18 months in this really dynamic, ever-shifting battle for cyber and network security? What's the one Hmm. thing you think they should really be paying attention to?
1: I think the notion of privacy is going to continue to eat our lunch if we aren't <laughs> careful, and um, fortunately, there's technologies out there that can that can provide data pri- privacy, you know, mm-hmm. capability. But that not being able to trust that your data is coming from where you think it's coming from, or that the picture you see is actually the person you think it is, that to me is like a, uh, a, a A really scary threat. Mm -hmm. And so just paying attention to the conversations about that, and I don't mean on social media, that's probably not the best place to learn about data privacy, but maybe actually picking up a book or or talking to an expert or something. I think we all need to be a lot smarter, me included. I I have a lot of trust in, you know, whatever data protection lock I have on my phone to like actually keep me safe. And and I probably shouldn't be as trusting as I am. Mm -hmm. So I would say that. I mean, if you're going to dig into something as like, hmm, I should really learn about something, I would suggest data privacy.
0: Oh, that's, that's great insights. And it's funny you mentioned that. I just read an article just before this um, about our state where I'm at uh, has a contact tracing app for, for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were given a talk about it. And the, the, the details were the amount of data that's tracking versus many uh, other apps that most of us have on our phones is, is night and day. And, and so mm-hmm. being aware of what data is actually being captured with what is, is yep. so critical. That's no, right. I think that's excellent. Juliana, thank you for taking a little bit of time with us. Uh, thank you for joining and sharing your insights and in how better to secure networks. We ask our, tuners, our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture pl- platform and our integrations with our Fusion technology partners like Splunk, please visit endace.com. Juliana, thank you again for taking a little time and have a great day.
1: Thank you, Michael.